Hello, everyone, and welcome to the JRPG Report. This is episode 109. It is the week of April 22nd, 2020. My name is James Fisher. Welcome so much back to the weekly podcast that gives you all the JRPG news that you can handle. We've got a really cool podcast for you guys today. And uh, as always, I appreciate you checking us out each and every week. This is a uh, 100% clean, family-friendly show. And, uh, of course, we try to keep the spoilers to a minimum as well. Uh, We're going to talk about Final Fantasy VII Remake just a little bit and uh, some other news stories. And then we're going to wind up the podcast with this week's big JRPG release, also from Square Enix. That is Charles of Mana. I've got a good little uh, interview uh, for you guys at the end to wrap things up. But uh, let's get right into it. And of course, most of you guys have probably either beaten or right there at the end of FF7 Remake if you've been playing along with the rest of the world. And there are quite a few of you, I know, because... <laughs> Square Enix has announced that over 3.5 million copies were shipped and sold digitally worldwide in the first three days of release. I'd be very interested to know what that number is uh, is as of uh, right now. Of course, it was on April 10th, so when most people got their grubby little hands on this one. And today is the 22nd, so it'd be very interesting to see what those numbers are right now. Um, kind of knew it was going to be a big success, not surprisingly. And of course, you're talking about a worldwide release. Most games are tapered, and they're going to come out in one region or another first. So that's be interesting to see what they come up with. At, at, initially, I thought that almost sounds a little small. But then if you really think about it, that's over a million per day. Um, pretty pretty decent uh, numbers. To say this, the Lee Square Enix describes the game's digital sales as, quote, exceptional and continuing to increase. Not surprising there either. Um, according to Japanese outlets such as Famitsu, FF7 remake shipments and digital sales surpassed 1 million units in Japan alone that's pretty pretty cool stuff uh to say the least um i myself uh i'm at the very tail end of it i didn't get it till monday following the initial release but closing in on the uh on the end of things and can't wait to kind of wrap things up i thought i would beat it last night and the end is just a little bit longer um, then it might be, and I'm thinking I'm going to clock out at right about 30 hours. So I initially was guessing in that 30, 35, 40 range. I've done almost everything side quest wise. Now there, once you beat it, you do have the option of going back and I think it says you can play chapter by chapter or you can uh, select a chapter that you'd want to go back and, and kind of fish up. There's certainly some cleaning up I want to do and some trophy hunting. So I'll be, uh, <laughs> Picking it right back up, even once I um, 
once I get done with it, uh, hopefully tonight. Uh, there was one other bit of news that they released the Inside Final Fantasy VII Remake Developer Diary Episode 5. This is taking a look at the graphics and visual effects for the game. And if you have played it, those are... Uh, you could easily you put in that that best ever looking category as far as console games go. Um, God of War set a pretty high bar, and this meets or exceeds it in almost all aspects. What what sets this one apart is when you are doing uh, making selections for like your abilities or, or magic or items when the game slows down. And you see it, you know, they're still inching along and all the particle effects and stuff going on. Um, it is, it's nothing short of really breathtaking from a visual standpoint. They <laughs> kind of nailed everything. And you can clearly see why it took so long to make. This last, um, I, I said last one last time for part four. I would guess this is the last one, but I don't know. Maybe it'll keep on going. Uh, this highlights the visual design of um, of the game and features interviews with producers Yoshinori Katase, director and concept designer Tetsuya Nomura, game design and programming co-director Naoki Hamaguchi, character modeling director Masaki Kazuno, lead animator Hiroyuki Nakazuka, and battle animation director Hiroyuki Yamaja. Or Yamaji. Uh, you can check out that video. You can check out all the articles, videos, images, all that stuff that I talk about can be accessed either on Facebook, JRPG Report, or on Twitter, same handle over there. Give us a follow and a like, and you can see all that fun stuff each and every week. One final piece uh, to say about Remake this Sunday. Our Sunday special will feature the return of Dalton, and we will have a fun little conversation. Uh, he and I, I'm speaking in the future as we're going to conduct our interview in a couple days. Um, he's been playing back through the original. I, of course, am about to wrap up the remake, so he's got some questions for me this time. Hopefully I can answer those, and we'll kind of do a little back and forth on some of the key differences. I can't say there's not going to be spoilers. It's kind of hard to talk about this without some spoilers involved. So keep that in mind if you've not played the game yet or don't want anything more ruined for you. But I figured by Sunday most people would have beaten it if we could talk a little more freely about it. And uh, not only do we have, you know, FF7 Remake, we have Trials of Mana, which is a complete remake. We're going to be talking about some other games that we feel like uh, could get this teammate and uh, stand to benefit from it. And we may even talk about a few that maybe are kind of those sacred ones that let's just not not kind of go there. I think Mana is a perfect example of when they tried to uh, update Secret of Mana, you kind of saw what could go wrong with trying to do this. However, just from playing the demo, I can tell you what they got right with trying to do Trials of Mana. So that'll be fun. Check that out on Sunday. It usually, well, usually it comes out 10 a.m. on Sunday, so you have a fun little conversation to liven up your day 
on Sunday. So yeah, that's all the FF7 remake news for the week. Um, small uh, <laughs> bit of, of a tidbit. I'll probably uh, give a full review for it next week. But um, needless to say, exceptional. You should play it. Uh, in other news, we had some quick uh, things to talk about. Probably uh, one of the bigger games I'm looking forward to playing here fairly soon is Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Of course, this one got a worldwide physical and digital release date on the Nintendo Switch of May 29th. And uh, we found out that there is the new feature connected epilogue episode that's included in this Definitive Edition. This will be accessible from the get-go. So this uh, is kind of saying, okay, this game has been out twice before. While it's an overhaul visually, it is the same game. So if you played it on the Wii, or if you're one of those that bought a brand new 3DS to play this game, you can jump right into that future connected epilogue without having to play through the entire game once again, unless you want to. Um, the future connected epilogue is set roughly a year after the events of the main game. So, like I said, I was excited to play um, this game for the first time. Huge, huge fan of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. So, I'd really want, can't wait to get into this one. And now, knowing that there's this epilogue episode after it, pretty fired up to say the least and always a good reason to uh, break out the old switch or rather steal it away from the six-year-old who is finally guys i think she's finally on the uh the curve of uh, not being minecraft obsessed as usual a uh, bit of bad news but we kind of already hinted at this it is now official gamescon 2020 is no longer going to be held as a physical event this year in Cologne, Germany, uh, of course, due to that awful thing that we uh, itched uh, that shall not be named. Um, but it will take place as a digital event, the organizers announced. Jeff Knightley also confirmed that this year's, quote, Gamescom opening night live show will now be an all-digital show streamed live on August <coughs> Excuse me, the 24th. In its official statement, it said, It's official. Unfortunately, Gamescon will under no circumstances take place on site in Cologne this year. Just like many of you, we are disappointed because Gamescon team, we have been working on a wonderful Gamescon 2020 for months, just like many exhibitors. However, it is quite clear to us that in face of the corona pandemic, we must stand united. This means that we all must be considerate of each other and reduce the risk. Of infection. However, we are working full speed on a digital GamesCon. It is, after all, the world's biggest event for games, and that's what it should be again this year. Um, because this one thing is certain, this year too, it will remain the heart of gaming. That was kind of going to be their slogan uh, this year. So, uh, if, in case you have already purchased tickets for the event, they did say all paid tickets will be fully refunded. And uh, you don't need to do anything that it, that they will be arranging this in the next coming coming weeks. I'm sure there's there's a couple of you that may be out there with that kind of news. So definitely some sad news, but it does appear uh, those two big ones, E3 and Gamescom, 
are going to be digital. Wait for Tokyo Game Show to probably announce uh, a similar announcement. We got a video for Near Reincarnation. This is its first gameplay video. This now remember this was the smartphone one that they announced a few years ago. Not a few years ago, <laughs> a few weeks ago, and um, so the min the the video is about two minutes long, and uh, there's about thirty seconds of titles and information and whatnot. About a minute and a half of quote unquote gameplay, and so you can see on the screen it shows you know if you've played mobile games before that you can move around freely. They've got the little thumb circle, and it shows the indicator circle showing which way that you are pressing. And uh, so it shows, uh, it appears to be a young, youngish girl. And what could be best described as one of the ghosts from Pac-Man flying around with her. It looks like uh, Pinky or Inky or Clyde. Uh, one of them is flying along with her as a companion. And... It does not show any um, any of the battle system. It is purely her running down a long corridor, an open space all around her. Now, it's impressive looking. If you just glanced at this video and didn't know, you might say, well, that's not a great looking PlayStation 4 game. It looks like a pretty PS3 game. It kind of reminds me of the visual style of like Shadow of the Colossus, if that makes a good reference. There's a lot of uh, browns and grays in the, um, at least in the video that they were showing this time. But once you say this is a smartphone game, you can't help but be a little impressed. It is very, very good looking. Um, like I said, though, it is nothing in there. Um, battle-wise, and uh, had to at least chuckle at the Pac-Man ghost following <laughs> following her around. I got a piece of interesting information. A couple, yeah, two weeks ago, we had our Sunday special all about Legend of Heroes Hajimare Nokozeki, and uh, we kind of detailed everything that we knew about it to this point. Well, one thing we didn't have was a firm release date. We do now. Uh, we'll launch for PlayStation 4 August 27th in Japan, the latest issue of Weekly Famitsu revealed. Now, still no word on a Western port. I don't expect that to happen for some time. Unfortunately, we know uh, the translation <laughs> uh, timetable that if, in fact, this one does go over to NIS America, and if Nihon Falcon has not um, moved that in-house, you're looking about a year at best case scenario. But we did learn a few things about it, and I think I can reveal this without uh, ruining anything. Um, there is what's called Variant Age. Now, this is a super powerful attack, and... HP slash BP recovery that can be activated when there are five or more members in your party. Now, I read that a couple times <laughs> before the podcast just to make sure. Now, I've not heard anything about 
an active party of more. Now, are they talking about uh, just players to choose from? We know there's going to be 50 people in your party, and surely they are talking about just characters that you collect, not active participants in battle. Um, build up the gauge by destroying objects on the field. So you're kind of doing that anyway with all the crates and bosses and everything else that you've got to smash in the Legend of Heroes games. Uh, by growing the gauge, it can be activated up to three or four times in a single battle. So it kind of sounds like uh, before you would break a bunch of stuff in order to get an advantage against any enemy if you hit them on the field. This actually sounds like it's going to be in battle itself. Its effect increases depending on the number of participants. And it says up to 10. So I'm still a little slightly confused about what that exactly means. Uh, but we shall we shall see. There were some characters talked about, and I'm not going to go over that, as there are some slight spoilers in there. But needless to say, there are uh, plenty of voice talent returning for this game. Um, there are data link bonuses. Now, will this carry over into the Western release? It kind of depends. So, <laughs> um, these are only for the PlayStation 4 versions of these games. And the first two that list are the crossbow games. Zero no Koseki and Ao no Koseki. Um, for Zero, you would get uh, 7 attributes Sabbath times 200. For Ao Nokuzeki, you would get Sabbath Mass times 600. If you have them both, you would get a special accessory that can only be obtained by having this data and a very nice Xerum capsule. Now, if you have Trails of Cold Steel 3 system data, you get U-Material times 50. Now, that's pretty cool. In the opening stages of the game, that can come in very, very handy, as that's one of the hardest things to come across to upgrade your weapons and uh, I was about to say your weapons and materia. That's not quite what they're called in that one. I got FF7 on the brain. Uh, if you've got Trails of Cold Steel 4 system data, you get the Shining Palm Spirit Incense. If you have both 3 and 4, you get a special accessory that can only be obtained by having this data. If you have Trails of Cold Steel 4 clear data... You get a rank S special accessory that can only be obtained by having this data, an A plus accessory obtainable in the game, and different items obtainable depending on whether. Uh, well, I don't want to say this next thing. It's it, it's depending on certain things. So, all those bonuses are contingent upon, of course, these games <laughs> uh, making it to America. Obviously, we know. Uh, uh, to the West, let's put it that way. We know Cold Steel 4 is coming. We've still not had um, official, official confirmation that Zero and AO remakes are coming. I think they will. I really do. But, I mean, we don't even know this game is coming West <laughs> yet. Again, I see no reason for it not to, but until... There's a press release from Falcom that says these things are coming west. You can't assume anything. So that seems like a pretty decent place to have a little break. We've got some more fun things to talk about on the other side after we take a quick break. Have a word from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Again, thank you so much for listening 
Thanks for giving us likes and tweets and thumbs ups and all that good stuff. Everybody listen to it. Don't forget we've got an awesome YouTube channel as well. I put some videos on there. There's video versions of each one of these podcasts if you prefer to listen to them over there. Um, our weekly one has uh, all the videos that we talk about in certain images in the podcast itself. So if you want to hear kind of what I'm talking about, you can do that over there. And then our Sunday one is kind of just a static screen. It's just got the, the one, but I've been trying to put all those on there. We've got our nightly live streams. If you want to see exactly what remake is all about without uh, purchasing it, you can see that my entire playthrough of the game up to this point. And don't forget if you are super awesome, you can be a supporter of this podcast. Just scroll on down. It'll say support this podcast and you can do so for as little as a dollar per month. I'll take more if you're so generous, but, uh, helps keep this thing rolling on each and every week. Uh, we detailed, or at least we talked about a few of the, um, uh, de- details of <laughs> Monster Hunter World Iceborne, its title update 3.5. This is coming out tomorrow, April 23rd. Uh, we already kind of talked about the Kolv Taroth monster and Arch Tempered Namili. Na- <laughs> uh, those quests have been added and both are available uh, for a limited time. Uh, there are miscellaneous upgrades, bug fixes. Uh, monster fixes, player fixes, all that fun stuff rolled out into update 3.5, which will go live tomorrow on April 23rd. Um, an interesting article that was from a outlet called Japanese Nintendo. This was published today and I've not been able to, um, see this anywhere else. It was uh, acquired from a Japanese website called Rio Kutia. Um, but I've not got that confirmed through my usual sources of Gametsu. Uh, however, it basically just says Namta- Bandai Namco Entertainment has postponed the release date of the survival tactical RPG Digimon Survive for Nintendo Switch and PlayStation 4 from a window of 2020 to the dreaded to be determined. Delay is due to a complete overhaul of the development process, hence why we've not learned a lot about it. I kind of feel like we were learning quite a bit about it. There was articles fairly often, but apparently this is not actually a delayed corona-related. However, somebody's not happy with the way the game is going, and they are saying, nope. Uh, let's go back to the old drawing board on this one, fellas. You're going to need to do a little bit, (laughs) a little bit better, but I will keep you guys updated if I hear anything, uh, otherwise, or I can confirm this perhaps do another, do another source. Um, back last November, there was uh, a run of physical copies of Mary Skelter 2 for Nintendo Switch. This was from limited run games, but those quickly sold out and uh, they are announcing that there is another run planned for them. 
and this can be pre-ordered through the limited run games website so if you didn't get a chance to get a physical copy back in last november of mary skelter 2 for your switch you can do that now another week and another uh, website update for vvvtunia this one talks about the heart tune system heart tune is performed through the bonds between partners uh, when you activate this you will gradually recover mp that's been used and HP and skills. That was a bit of a, <laughs> a butcher that sense. Uh, the longer the activation time, the higher the recovery power. So it's so it's quite a valuable tool when you run out of recovery items. However, since you are unable to defend yourself during a heart tune, be sure to use it only when the timing is right. I.e., not uh, under a hail of gunfire from a boss character they also uh talked about some more guest vtubers and these were from something called showroom which is on or available no it's available on showroom youtube and twitter people that i don't know and you probably don't either uh, vv2 is due out for ps4 on july 2nd in japan no use yet of a western release date Fairy tale. we talked about those uh, guest characters last week, and now you get to look at them in action through a new trailer for it. The trailer is only about a minute long, and there were also some images that went along with that. Um, they say, During Fairytale's gripping narrative, players will team up with a range of guest characters from other guilds across Magnolia to take on common enemies. These fan-favorite characters are ready to team up and support your party in battle. They include the Ark of Time user, Ultir Molkovich, from the Crime Sonori Guild, the Ice Make Wizard, Lion Vastia, from the Lamia Scale Guild, the Burning Hair Wizard, Flare... Ugh! <laughs> Just got the worst image and smell in my mind of burning hair... Uh, her name is Flair Kanora from the Raventail Guild, and Minerva Orland, the Sabertooth Guild's finest lady. And while guest characters are not playable, they will instead join your party and automatically perform a range of powerful magic abilities, including those featured in the anime and manga. They also talked about the Guild Hall. And uh, the Guild Hall's famed hall becomes a key meeting point for party members to prepare for upcoming quests. Inside the Guild, items are available for sale and trade, including consumable items, lacrima, and a variety of materials at the item shop. There's even a selection of drinks at the bar that provide different status effects to party members. By saving up gold and purchasing upgrades for the Guild, an increased inventory of items and drinks are available for purchase. The appearance of the guild itself can become increasingly more extravagant. Fairy Tale is due out for PS4, Switch, and PC via Steam on June 25th in Europe and Japan. The next day, June 26th in North America. We got news of a new playable character in the upcoming game Sea of Stars. We've talked a little bit about it over the past couple weeks. And this new guy is named... Garl, the warrior cook. 
That's, I mean, you always need somebody to cook, right? Why not be a warrior? So think Carl, except with a G. Garl. I guess that's how you would say it. Um, of course, the turn-based RPG Sea of Stars is set in the world of The Messenger. It's currently in its final hours of funding on Kickstarter. As of this press time, this was on back on the 17th. So they had achieved, uh, I believe this is in Canadian dollars, CA, $1.4 million. Their initial goal was only 133000 So they reached every stretch goal it has set so far. These guys should be uh, good to go over at Sabotage Studio to make this game uh, happen. Um, they say to, to Garl, the call of adventure is an excuse to taste all the flavors life has to offer and to challenge himself in preparing wholesome meals despite the daily unpredictabilities of being a devoted friend and caretaker of two souls warriors on a mission. Seems like a, a interesting guy. He says, when trouble comes, he acts as a defensive fighter, wielding his cauldron lid as a makeshift shield. He always tries to protect his friends, who he sincerely believes will become the finest soulless warriors the world has ever known. Outside of combat, he keeps an eye out for unique ingredients to use the campfire, always making a point to feed his companions while also boosting their morale using varying perfumes and textures. Very cool-looking game. Sea of Stars, a retro-inspired turn-based RPG, now with three characters in it, and they've got the image for it, and I kind of would have to believe this image is going to grow as we learn more and more about the playable characters and see it starts as we've got a while. <laughs> it's not coming out um, to Steam until 2022. Hopefully, we'll see a um, console release at that time as well. Uh, there was an interesting article, and this is in uh, from Famitsu, that uh, they introduced or interviewed Square Enix producer Tomoyo. Asano on Bravely Default 2. Um, here are some of the highlights. It's not the entire interview. So uh, Famitsu asks, Many fans were probably surprised at the announcement of the title at li- last year in demo in late March. Firstly, it's surprising the game is titled Bravely Default 2 rather than Bra- Bravely 3rd. How did development begin? So, Osno, the producer, says, Before I talk about the game, I would like to apologize regarding Bravely Second. Despite a lot of expectations for Bravely Second, I feel that there were parts that did not meet the expectations of fans. Our reflection on the shortcomings have become a strong-rooted aspect of all the games our team are working on. And so, when I shared this on the Facebook group, it definitely, I believe, surprised a few people. As uh, in particular, uh, our friend of the show, Jordan, he loved both Bravely Default games and was perplexed by this. As it, at least in his opinion, there was nothing to apologize for <laughs> at all, and um, thought that the second was actually a better game. So I thought that was interesting. Famitsu says. Uh, 
as they talk about one of the excuse me one of the games the team is working on. He says one of those was Octopath Traveler. I see. He says, uh, Osno says, right. Keeping the reflections in mind, we proceeded with the development of Octopath Traveler. To be quite honest, I felt it would be difficult to continue the Bravely series in the future. Despite that, the smartphone game team said, we want to make a new game in this series. He asks, you mean Bravely Default Fairy's Effect? Osno says, right. That is something that we're very thankful for. But the extremely strong start Fairy's Effect had became a strong tailwind in our favor. I felt that it was now I'd be able to plan a new Bravely series entry. And that's how the project started. And uh, so lastly they ask, and so until the name Bravely Default 2 was decided upon, what sorts of trial and error process did you go through? And uh, this time it is uh, Masasashi Takahashi, the producer. They say, this time we returned to our roots and decided to make create a brand new world and new characters so that even those new to the series would be able to enjoy it 100%. The new characters had their own stories in order to make sure there was no chance that they would misunderstand and think that this wasn't a completely new game, we thought about what to make the title. Bravely Default 2 will release for the Switch sometime this year. Uh, they say Square Enix is currently accepting feedback for the demo. Pretty cool stuff. Like I said, didn't quite know why he apologized, but he did. And uh, that was good stuff to uh, to kind of read about. One last story before we get into Trials of Mana. And uh, that was that there is a new Kickstarter that has been launched for War of Ashrid, A-S-H-I-R-D. It's a turn-based fantasy RPG featuring character designs by Doki Doki Literature Club, character designer, Satchelay. It is seeking $82,000 in funding for its release on PC via Steam in 2021, followed by Switch and PS4 in 2022. It will support English, Japanese, and Chinese Options. The game War of Astrid has already been in development for three years. And according to Igrishell Studios, our team decided to open a Kickstarter campaign in order to improve the game's quality, expand the battle system, and give players something wonderful to look forward to. Uh, <laughs> I.e., um, we'd really like a few dollars to make this game better and to. Uh, pay our bills for the next year until the game comes out. Uh, you've been working on the game for three years. It's time to get the thing out. I mean, it's been, it's been the game looks pretty cool. It's a unique uh, hybrid of grid-based and turn-based combat. Um, they say that normal battles are grid-based with up to seven characters engaging an enemy army. When fighting a boss, laying siege to a castle, or conquering new territory. However, the game then uses a turn-based battle system with three party members, party members instead. It's a world full of possibilities. You can visit 20 cities, each with their own story, character events, and guild quests. By exploring them all, maybe you'll uncover some mysteries. Yeah, You can interact with over 20 unique characters, each with their own events, personalities, and skills. You can own land and become lord of a castle. 
even getting a helpful maid to take care of it. There's a video that goes along with this as well as some images. You can check out that link on the Facebook page. The video literally shows nothing in terms of gameplay. There's a lot of fire going on in it with titles. And uh, somebody got pretty, <laughs> had some fun with the editing on that one. Our, it looks like a pretty cool game. Hopefully they'll meet their Kickstarter. It's not asking for a ton of money overall. So hopefully they can meet that and keep this one going on. Trazamana, the latest remake from Square Enix. And uh, I've been looking forward to this one, like I said in previous podcasts. Played the demo, was thoroughly impressed with it. Really liked the story and the characters and the uh, obviously the battle system. On day one, when the game comes out on April 24th, there will be the detailed version, or uh, their detailing version 1.01 update. And it basically adds the dash method option. So you can either press the dash button to enter dash state for normal mode uh, to return. Press the button again. You can do a continuous. Um, press the dash button, enter dash date. Return to normal speed is only possible by pressing the button again. Or automatic mode, which basically means you enter dash date after one second of movement. And they're also, of course, uh, having minor, minor bug fixes. They do note the PC version does not include this update in the base product. It will need to it will still need to download and apply the update after the base product has been installed. That's interesting. The last thing I want to share with you guys, and this should get you primed and ready to go if you're looking forward to Trazamana, a recent interview with the game's producer, Shinichi Tatsuke. This was with Gametsu, as well as Mena's series producer, Masaru or, or um, Oyamada, who is also the producer on Collection of Mana, The Secret of Mana Remake, and a number of recent Mana releases regarding the game. They discuss some of the changes in the remake. Uh, of course, they do clarify Trials of Mana is a remake of Segekin Ditsetsu 3, which first launched on the SNES back in 1995 in Japan. And we never saw the game until last year's collection of mana for the Switch, localized in June of 2019. They've also talked about the removal of cooperative play, how long the game takes to clear, and more. First question, has the remake seen any changes to the game more adaptable to those who haven't played the original or the mana series in general? Was it difficult to find a balance between faithful recreation and a new modern experience and Tatsuku answers yes we've made various adjustments for example in the initial character selection we've added detailed explanations of each character's background and their unique quality additionally only the main character's prologue story could be experienced in the original game but now you'll be able to experience your two companions prologues as well and dive even deeper into the game's world I kind of talked about that in the demo, when you meet, um, you only get the one other character in the demo. When you meet them, you do have the option of going back and experiencing that player's 
origin, quote unquote, origin story as well. And I assume when you meet your third party character, you can do that as well. So you, because it looks like all six characters have a different story. They all meet up or come to converge in the one town and leading towards that holy city. The name escapes me at the moment. So basically you could go back and play each one of their stories and not have to play the game six times to get all six origin stories. Pretty cool. He continues. It was difficult to find that balance. There are many elements that felt perfectly natural in the original game, but felt that they could be improved upon once they were in D in 3d. Particularly, we found that the action elements, which were originally created using the most advanced technology available at the time, needed to be adjusted to fit a modern 3D game. As such, we incorporated additional action elements like evasion, aerial attacks, and combo attacks to match the upgraded graphics and gameplay. Meanwhile, we made no changes to the original game's core elements like the story and characters, instead focusing on refining the visuals to fit in with modern times. The next question is, what challenges did you face in doing a simultaneous worldwide release, and why was that important? He answers, eight different languages were supported in this game, so developing them simultaneously was a challenge. However, we really wanted all the regions to be able to experience this at the same time, so we worked hard and got everything done in time. And here's probably the biggest question I would have. What went into the decision of removing co-op for the remake? And is there a chance that it will be added via an update in the future? Tatsuki answers. The original game, with its top-down perspective, including an, it included an offline multiplayer mode. This time, we used an adjustable third-person perspective to enhance the feeling of being immersed in the world. So we didn't include that option. We also considered online multiplayer mode, but in order to do that, we would have had to incorporate additional elements specifically to make it enjoyable for online as well. That would have required to split our time in creating a game that was enjoyable both offline and online. Instead, we thought that we would be able to create something better by focusing it, focusing it on a single game player game only and that's how the decision came to be we are not playing to have a multiplayer added through a future update either and that kind of puts that one to rest <laughs> and i understand it um these games take a long time to make in single player mode and adding multiplayer does add a bit to it it seems like it wouldn't be that difficult to add an online element to it but they're not doing it, so stop asking. <laughs> and the next question asks, are the Mana games part of a shared universe? And this time, uh, Oyamata answers, there are certain titles that are part of a shared world, but the world differs per series. We do have core aspects of the Mana universe in common, such as the Mana Tree, Mana Sword, and Elementals. I hope the players will discover points that in the titles have in common. And let their imaginations roam. How long do you estimate it will take users to complete the game in terms of experience in each character's story? Why do you think the character system is unique? 
And uh, first, Tatsuki says, it takes about 25 to 30 hours. Then Oyamana answers, the story system in Trazamana is unique in how it changes out how the story plays, depending on which three among the six main characters you select. Playing with different characters allow you to enjoy different facets of the story. And Tatsuki continues, additionally, in Trazamana, you can choose twice whether you want to move toward... Okay, you can choose twice whether you want to move forward in the light or dark class. And these changes, and this changes your character's abilities. Additionally, with the inclusion of the ability system in this title, there are now more differences between classes. Plus, class 4, which didn't exist in the original game at all, will now be introduced after the game is completed. I hope you'll experience these by actually playing the game for yourselves. Are there any plans for post-release DLC? And they say currently there are no plans for downloadable content. Are there any plans to port Collection of Mana to PlayStation 4 and PC? Or to port Secret of Mana Remake release for PS4, Vita, and PC to Switch? And while we're at it, <laughs> what about Adventures of Mana on consoles and PCs? Or Mana answers, there are... Many areas which I can't go into because can't go into details here, but collection of mana is something that was made possible with Nintendo's help. So I think it would be difficult to release on other platforms. I would like to consider the Secret of Mana and Adventures of Mana releases if there's demand for them and the timing is right. Uh, I like this question. What is your favorite party of three to play as, and why? Or Mana answers: Doran, Angela, and Kevin. Not that this is the only party I used when I first played the game original. Oh, she says, or here, she says, not only is this the party I first used in the original, but I also simply like how they have such high destructive power. And while Tasuke answers, I would say Charlotte, Kevin, and Angela. Because Charlotte has an interesting story, and Kevin and Angela specialize in offensive attacks and fit me well. The next question was... Does the Mana series have a future beyond the Trials of Mana remake? And Oyamana answers, Of course we are considering how we can make this happen. But first, I would love everyone to hear... I would uh, would love to hear what everybody thinks after playing Trials of Mana and what they're looking forward to in the Mana series. Last question they say, Before we sign off, can you share a final message? And Oyamata says, the original game was released in Japan 25 years ago, but we made this remake while thinking about what we could make it enjoyable in a new, modern release for all the people around the world to whom we were unable to offer the original. I hope that everyone who was hoping and waiting for the title back then, as well as those who are about to learn it for the first time, will enjoy the world of Mana. And Tatsuki says, the original game wasn't released outside of Japan, but we developed this remake with the intention of creating something that wouldn't feel awkward or out of place with modern-day gamers. We put in our all, and I'm very confident in what we're delivering. I hope you enjoy playing. Awesome interview. Uh, Got some answers to some questions that may have been wondering for a while. I would say if this game is successful, which I would imagine it's going to be, um, this is not the end of Mana. I believe it's kind of 
we're going to look back because this is a rebirth of it. Um, obviously, you're getting a, a switch to new system, so it's not like they could just reuse this engine per se, but I don't see why they can't maybe make a, uh, a new game, but also a throwback to the original because, in my opinion, multiplayer, at least offline, was very important. Um, Secret of Mana is one of my favorite NES games because it had multiplayer <laughs> to it. It was a completely different game when you were playing with somebody. And if you grew up in a household that you had to share games with your brothers or sisters, that was one of the few that you could probably get along with and uh, cooperative play. So I hope that in the future there is a possibility of some sort of cooperative play because I'll be honest, it'd be a game that you know me and my daughter could play together. And I think that'd be really cool. Anyway, that's all we got for episode 109. That's going to do it. Um, thank you so much for listening. As always, Look forward to our Sunday special this week, talking all about what made Final Fantasy VII Remake so special and what other ones we're looking forward to uh, hopefully getting the treatment on as well. Back next week with more fun JRPG news and uh, talkings about. Until then, my name is James Fisher, signing off. Don't forget, get back out there and level up.